to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Okay, everybody, welcome. Uh, I got a few stories here and a few audio clips as well, and just sort of a overarching theme that I kind of want to stretch throughout this entire episode, which may not sound much different from other previous episodes, frankly, but I will start off with the overarching theme, I think. One of the things, of course, that's been going on now for quite some time, in particular, I would say for at least the last year, uh, given all of the shot rollouts that have occurred within schools and across schools, all with K-12 education and university level support, as we all know, because they've all been responsible for pushing these poisonous jabs. Um, One of the things that's happening and continues to happen and anybody, like I've said in the past, can look this up. But we have teachers actually dying in schools. I mean, there are students and teachers dying away from the school, yes. But the jabbed are also dying within these environments. And I'm going to start off here with just a couple of, of, couple of stories that are directly related to this. Because again, they're not telling people why these people are dying. These connections are purposely not being made, and the dots are purposely not being connected when they could not be more obvious. Again, ask yourself, when was the last time you heard of teachers and students dying inside of a, inside of a school? That was not some kind of a school shooting or, you know, something of that nature. Um. There's this one particular story here, which was very, you know, just very typical, I would say. I, I simply got on uh, start page, the search engine, and again, typed in student, student dies. And the first story that popped up was this student in Grapeland, Texas. And the article, again, the way that it's framed, I think, is very interesting and remarkably telling. I, I, don't, I don't know what these news outlets think they're getting away with by not being more descriptive and not asking more questions. But it just says this, again, very, very short. It says, Grapeland, Texas, Grapeland ISD student, faculty, and staff are mourning the death of one of their own. This is according to a March 12th post on the Grapeland ISD Facebook page, a GISD student has died. The post did not give the student's name, age, or grade. And then, of course, they go through a couple of the general quotes that, uh, you know, heartfelt condolences, and we've lost one of our own, and it's a sad time for everybody, the end. And then that's the end of the story. Again, no questions, no uh, parental comments. No parental questions, no, n- nothing related to any of that. And then as I'm on this website, which is msn.com, all I did was scroll down slightly. And I came across this very next story, which I kid you not, was right on the exact same page. From Riverton, Illinois. It says a Sagamon, if I'm saying that right, Sagamon County Coroner confirms a Rivertown high school teacher has was found dead on campus earlier today. It says, Dave Dressel, 51, of Riverton, was pronounced dead at 11 a.m. this morning. The death is under investigation. And then that's the end of the story. There's nothing else. That's it. And again, we're hearing of more and more individuals collapsing on stage, actors, actresses, what have you. Um... Teenagers, children with strokes and, and, and uh, heart attacks. I mean, the list goes on and on. But the overarching theme here that I, that I want to mention, and I don't know if I've put it this way in the past, because I know that I've advocated and will continue to advocate for homeschooling everywhere possible. I think another reason to walk away permanently from these K-12 environments is this. It's this very thing that's taking place right now. These deaths that are occurring within these environments are going to become so frequent, and they are frequent right now, I might add, but again, no one's bringing them up. 
they're certainly not being discussed. Oh, another teacher died. Well, that happens. Or, oh, another student died. Well, we're saddened for the loss and that happens. But the bigger picture is, is individuals had better run away from these environments because of the shelling that they are going to be taking from the public when the public figures out that it was these school environments themselves that were advocating for people to take these shots. And we know that they've been doing that. We're well aware. I've played the audio at length. Numerous board meetings, numerous board members in numerous states all across the country pushing the jabs on countless people. Quote, unquote, it's the safest way to prevent against COVID. These individuals are not going to be able to escape the public, the public noose, so to speak. I mean, everybody right now has a magnifying glass on schools due to curriculum and the mask wearing and the way that individuals are being treated within these environments. But when you start having students and staff, which again, it's already happening and has been now for over a year, I might add, but of course not being reported and certainly not at length. But when they start dying and keep dying within these environments over the course of, again, the next year, two years, three years, five years, that's going to be unavoidable. It'll be unavoidable. So here's a wave that is going to come that they cannot see coming, and I don't think the public right now can see this coming either. And it's this. I think what you're going to see in the future is instead of parents showing up at board meetings screaming at the top of their lungs about mask wearing, which I'm glad that they did that, although that's pretty much fizzled out now, the thing that will not fizzle out, that will ramp up, is the public, parents, you name it, all kinds of individuals in the quote-unquote community showing up to these board meetings and screaming at the top of their lungs at these superintendents and board members for being advocates for these death shots. That's going to be the next shoe to drop. Mark my words, that will happen. That's going to happen. If it isn't already happening right now, again, we've had a lot of individuals show up in these board meetings and say these kinds of things. But when the students start dropping like flies and the staff members do too, Who's going to show up to a board meeting and not necessarily say, I told you so, but who's going to show up to a board meeting and say, where in the hell did you all get off on thinking that you were somehow a medical expert? And even, of course, the medical experts aren't experts at anything. We've figured that out, fortunately. That veil has been lifted. But how many, how many parents are going to show up to these board meetings and start saying those kinds of things? and going for the throat of these individuals, and throats rather, because of, again, their full-blown advocacy for these shots, pressuring people to get these shots, and just advocating for them as the day is long. So keep that in mind, I think, going forward. That will be the next shoe to drop. That might not happen this semester. It might not even happen during the summer. This might be something that starts to happen in the fall, and just continues throughout throughout time. But as I've said in the past, always get on these search engines, regardless of where they are. Find different search engines, of course. DuckDuckGo, of course, is now taken side with uh, Ukraine and, and that entire lie. And of course, DuckDuckGo has been pretty much garbage since um, 2019, give or take. Because they've always operated under the, uh, you know, under the the lie that they don't store information or sell their information, search information, but they do, uh, and and I'm sure plenty plenty do. But get on one, get on any search engine you want, and again, type in "student dies" or "students die" or "teacher dies," and just read what's what's going on, where. Pay attention to the date, of course, and uh, you know, pay attention to the length of the story. Are there any details associated with it or not? So I just wanted to sort of kick off the episode with that. Again, I think the, the, the wave that is going to come here is going to be something that we have not seen, and it's going to destroy 
these school buildings. And I mean, I'm all for it. Now, of course, it may not destroy them, but there may still be plenty of them and plenty of people who are blind enough to continue to send their children to these horrific environments. But um, it, it will happen. It's inevitable that it's going to happen. Someone is going to have to show up to these school environments and these board meetings and start mentioning these kinds of things. So-and-so died, you know, this teenager died of a full-blown heart attack. Weren't you the same school board that was advocating for people to take these shots that's giving people heart attacks? Do you not know that this is happening? I mean, that's going to be, that's going to be the next thing that happens. So as sad as it's going to be, and as graphic as it's going to be, um, if you think that you've seen parents mad because of the mask wearing and the critical theory curriculum and, and whatever else, buckle up, ladies and gentlemen, because I, I again, I think that's that's going to be the that's going to be the most revealing part of all of this. And it's what it's also going to do, I might add, which is not a bad thing, although it's going to really it's going to tip off a, a lot of uh, mental and emotional unease, so to speak. But it's going to wake up the normies too. I mean, the normies are going to start seeing the, these these parents showing up screaming and yelling because of the jabs, and how the jabs have killed the staff members in their own district, and how the jabs have killed students in their own district. I mean, again, the normies sitting by watching these board meetings are going to start waking up and saying saying to themselves, "Wait a minute, I jabbed myself with this stuff. What's going to happen to me?" It's just, it, I, I think it's inevitable. I think it's months away, if not a year away. But I think like most of the quote-unquote trends that have occurred throughout K-12 and um, the public response, as it were, I, I, I just think that that's going to be, and I don't want to call it a trend per se, but I do think that it will be a bit of a trend. It's going to be something that does happen. So food for thought on that one. And I wanted to mention this story too. So I mean, give this one a you know think about think about it from this angle too, because again, the way that these stories are written about people dying, in particular, again, teachers, students, etc., is they're hinging it on something else that occurred in or around their death. So this particular story again was from a, just a couple of weeks ago, um, and it's from HealthLeadersMedia.com, and it's titled this via the uh, USA Today, but it's titled, 25-year-old teacher died from waiting hours at the ER. She's not the only one who saw delays. Now listen to this. It says, the night Tashauna Ward died, uh, Frodert, if I'm saying that right, don't know, hospital, staff didn't check her vital signs as often as they should have after she arrived at the ER with chest pain and shortness of breath. Federal documents show. 25-year-old daycare teacher spent more than two hours waiting to see a doctor back on January 2nd. Chest pains, shortness of breath, daycare worker. I think we can connect those dots. But they're chalking this up to, well, it was hospital malpractice or malfeasance or whatever because, you know, they couldn't get her in in time and they didn't check her out properly and she was in the waiting room and whatever else. That's not why. That's, and, and by the way, I might add, that's pretty much the entire story. They do, however, blame race, believe it or not. They bring up... They bring up her race and they say, well, it has to do with health care for black women and there's a disparity there and whatever else. I mean, they are grasping at straws to figure out all of this. And this is a remarkably unhealthy human being. I mean, I, I, I don't know what else to say, but these individuals, again, who are writing these stories are participating in this cover-up. And I think that that is also one of the larger abominations associated with this entire thing that's going on. I mean, they're openly covering this up, and I just <laughs> I, I don't I don't know what they think they're actually getting away with. But here's the first audio clip I want to play, and this is Edward Dowd. 
and a lot of people are becoming more and more familiar with him, but he's a former BlackRock portfolio manager and uh, has become a whistleblower regarding the moves of BlackRock and a lot of this COVID-related stuff. Um, and he was on Real America's Voice on uh, the War Room show with Steve Bannon. And listen to what he says here again about the death toll and the numbers and uh, what the millennial generation has essentially experienced. This is the CDC's own data um, that they aggregate into um, all ages. Uh, the bottom line is my uh, insurance industry expert, former Southside Wall Street analyst, went into the CDC data. We were looking for other things, but what we found was pretty shocking. He took the data and it, it took some time and effort and did a lot of work. He broke it down by age and he created baselines for each age group to come up with excess mortality. And the money chart is really chart four, which shows that the millennial age group, 25 to 44, experienced an 84% increase in excess mortality into the fall. It's the um, worst ever excess mortality, I think, in the history. Um, just to give you an idea, when you look at chart four, you see when mandates and boosters hit the acceleration into the fall, and then um, it reaccelerated into uh, the end of the year. The drop off in that data you see there is reporting issues. It takes time for millennial age uh, deaths to be reported because they're usually not hospital deaths. So um, that data is going to be updated and probably shows a continued uh, disturbing trend. So just to put some numbers on this, um, in the fall, uh, starting in the summer into the fall with the mandates and the boosters, um, there were 61,000 excess millennial deaths. Basically, millennials experienced a Vietnam War in, in the second half of 2021, okay? 58,000 people died in the Vietnam War, uh, U.S. Uh, troops. So this generation just experienced a Vietnam War. And I think this is the smoking gun that the vaccines are causing excess mortality in all age groups. And uh, it's no coincidence that uh, Michelle Walensky refuses to answer Senator Ron Johnson's letters. They're hiding. Fauci's gone. She's gone. They're hiding. So I'm going to put a, a word out there. Uh, and it's, it's a word that's old, but it needs to be reintroduced in the conversation. This is what we call democide, death by government. So the government, through the mandates, has killed people. 61,000 excess deaths among millennials. You, you cannot hide that number. You can't. Again, I'm 40 years old. I, I, I'm sort of on that cusp of, uh, of what would be considered a millennial, I suppose. But many of these individuals are in school. They are school age. They are high school age, college age. Um, wow. That's, that's about all I can say. At the exact same time, however, you have Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer. Um, and apparently Pfizer has removed itself from the New York Stock Exchange, not an accident. They've made their money. Now it's time to get out. Uh, they've killed enough people. Now it's time to run away. But you have Albert Borla out there just this past week bragging on um, and being congratulated in a very odd way <clears throat> on uh, CNBC, if I'm not mistaken, or MSNBC, one of the two. Same rag, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, basically saying congratulations, Mr. Borla, on one year into this pandemic or one year into this, um, you know, just over a year into this vaccine rollout, whatever. Big smile on his face. And then he said people need to take uh, a fourth shot. So he's still out there advocating for a fourth shot. And on top of that, he's advocating for this to be a regular year in, year out practice. Again, if people have not woken up to what's going on and they have not figured this out, it's too late for them. It's too late. They're either double jabbed, triple jabbed, or they've taken two boosters and they're quadruple jabbed. These people aren't going to make it. But again, you know, my, my overarching theme here again is that they're going to, they're going to come after K-12 schools regarding their advocacy for all of this too. 
And I might add, and I do want to add this, I don't think it's just going to be superintendents and board members that people are, are going for here, are going to, you know, attack on this. It's going to be school teachers. There are countless school teachers throughout America and the world, frankly, who have been advocating for these shots inside of their own classrooms, regardless of the subject they teach. When their students start dying because they've taken these shots, uh, there will be parents that will come after them too. Because there are plenty of students, again, in those classrooms who are not jabbed, who have gone home and told their parents, hey, look, Mr. and Miss So-and-so was telling everybody to take the shot because it's the healthiest way to stay, you know, stay away from COVID and blah, blah, blah. You know for a fact that those school teachers have received emails from very awake parents telling those school teachers to keep their mouths shut, that they would do well to not talk about this whatsoever, mind their own business, stop playing doctor, teacher's subject, and go home. Um, I'm certain that that's happened. It had to have. So, again, teachers are not going to be safe from, from these future public attacks regarding the death toll on all of this either. Um, they aren't going to be able to dodge this one either. They're all in the same boat. For the most part, they've all been on the same team. And uh, I, just, I just think that that's what's coming. So there's that. I want to play this audio clip too and briefly describe the five docs here recently. Uh, the last few episodes of the five docs on the Critically Thinking channel on Rumble, again, Sherry Tenpenny, um, Northrop, et cetera, et cetera. They, they have not all been together as of late, but it's been uh, Dr. Pilevsky, if I'm saying his name right, probably not. But um, it's just been him and Dr. Tenpenny. And Tenpenny is really sort of just becoming more and more, I would say, uh, impatient and not willing to really discuss, again, a lot of the things that she's seeing or hearing or reading or experiencing. She's just kind of blowing a lot of it off. However, in this most recent episode from this past Thursday, she finally you know, started to bring up some, some more interesting things uh, in the same vein of the, of the stuff that she was bringing up a year ago, which was remarkably important. And again, if, if you can catch these episodes where it's the five of them talking, uh, if they decide to continue to have those, those are really the most enlightening episodes because you're taking five different individuals who are seeing very similar things, but also having different experiences and and hearing different stories from other people, and then they're coming together for roughly an hour and discussing again what what each person has uh, has basically seen, heard, or experienced themselves, and that's remarkably important. And I I, I hope that they continue to have this channel going. They continue to do these uh, these videos. I'd like to see the five of them get together a little more often. Maybe. Uh, maybe they don't have to do the videos as often as they do, but get the five of them together more, more, more frequently rather than just two of them. Um, either way, I'm not in charge of, of what they do, but uh, they have valuable things to say. And uh, when the five of them get together again, it's just one punch after another of just outrageous stories and just the horrific truth that's coming down regarding all of this. So I want to play this little clip here again, because again, this has to do with a lot of uh, Tenpenny's reading and observations and the things that she's been hearing as well, in particular among newborns, which is awful. I have some inside information that I want to share with you. Okay. And obviously it's, it's, it's uh, without naming names and without naming sources. Um, but I have it on very good authority that the Pfizer jab is divided into three jabs, something that's benign, something that's less benign, and something that's a hot lot. And the majority of the hot lots, the first round, were sent to red states. I've heard that rumored. Is that really now? Not a rumor. Not a, rumor. Not, a rumor. not a rumor. And the booster supposedly is the real kill shot. Well, that I did know. And this is from the inside. 
um, from a, a trusted source that um, they're aware. And, and, you know, we have said all along that we don't think everyone's getting the same injection because we're not seeing, I mean, can you imagine, you know, keeping the kill shot and the first round away from the mandated states with Democratic governors is actually a boon because then, you know, you're going to get all these people who are going to get the shot. And so you have more people who are being damaged in the red states. But now the um, booster shots, the kill booster shots are going everywhere. This is just Pfizer. Well, you know, the German data shows that, you know, we know that there's different ingredients in the shots. And um, the German data, separate German data also shows that each subsequent shot that you get further destroys the CD8 mm -hmm. cells in your immune system, and they're saying that it's irreversible, intentionally irreversible. So that means in another six months to a year, people are going to be dying of common colds. You know, I, I'll tell you another. I'll tell you another sort of an insider thing, um, and I heard this from direct a person to the person who's directly involved with this is that they know of two babies that were born in Cleveland hospitals here. I do not believe they were in the same hospital, but they know of two babies that were born after vaginal birth that within the first 12 hours of life of going through, which, you know, going through, you know, getting birthed is a, it's a struggle, you know, it's tough, you know, and it's, uh, so they went through a, a prolonged vaginal birth and both of these babies independently died of a heart attack, a heart attack after going through a vaginal birth. And then I have another friend in another state who um, had decided it, it taking the path of, um, uh, you know, that, that meme that was posted that said, you know, we, we we're no longer going to give school physicals for anyone who's clearances for sports physicals if they've had one of the, one of the jabs. Well, a friend of mine in another state um, who always did um, sports physicals for this one particular high school posted the same thing, said, I'm not going to do sports physicals. And they fired him. They were going to get another doctor who would actually do them. A week later, he heard from a friend of his who's a paramedic who said, it's a really good thing that you've distanced yourself from that school. We do at least two runs a week to that school. Ambulance runs to that school for kids that have, are having chest pain or seizures or numbness and tingling, or lose their speech, or start all kinds of things. It's happening. The story of, again, these shots being rolled out to red states isn't a new thing. That's not a new story. That's something that, again, was reported on a long time ago, and I, I'm glad he brought it up again. It certainly needs to be brought up again. Um, and that the more deadlier jabs were rolled out to red states, so to speak. But there's also, of course, a lot of talk, and, and it's true, and it's even being discussed in the, in the mainstream and then quickly being edited, that these shots specifically had a, or, or that you can, in a bioweapons lab, as it's, again, being discussed with regard to Ukraine and all the bioweapons labs that exist there and everywhere around the world, that the United States itself is, is running and funding, that the bioweapons that are made in these labs can be race-specific or DNA-specific or bloodline or heritage-specific. That, that's something, again, that's being discussed even at, the, even at the mainstream level briefly, but then it's you know, quickly deleted or quickly censored or what have you. Um, but what that individual experience within the school regarding, again, the school, the school employees or the students themselves, two, two students a day and the ambulance making two runs, or I'm sorry, two runs per week to the same school week in, week out. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And the school nurses aren't going to be safe in this, this next, uh, this next wave that's going to occur, this next wave of public outrage and public outcry 
as a result, again, of the adverse reactions and the death toll. It's the school nurses themselves that have been at the forefront of all of this. The school nurses right now would do well to retire and run for the hills. That's my opinion. If any of them had anything to do with any of this, and you know they did. Again, I've had a number of individuals, parents included, on this podcast over the last year and a half plus. And they specifically, um, Vanessa Hurst even comes to mind, uh, you know, the way that their school nurse at the school where she sends one of her children uh, is, is behaving regarding all of this is outrageous. And it's the same again all over the place. And they all seem to be just drinking in the same Kool-Aid and operating with the same recorded message over and over and over again. Wear the mask, hand sanitize, get your shots, blah, blah, blah. They're going to be on the hook for this too. The public's going to come after them too. They're not going to be able to walk down the street either. And this right here, this is the problem. This is what happens when you just start doing what your TV tells you. And you just start behaving the way that the strangers on television want you to behave. That's not going to work out well for them. That will back up on them. Guaranteed. So here's the last thing I wanted to bring up. And and again, this is perfectly in line with just another another reason to, to walk away from these environments. Um, Two major stories in education uh, regarding public schools out of Florida. One of them here in DeSoto County, I'm going to play the Fox 4 news report on this um, substitute teacher who, again, was attacked by a student and then fought back against the student. There were chairs being thrown in the classroom, substitute teachers bleeding from the head. There's a whole video showing it. Again, these students are taking this video instead of helping these people. When they're being attacked, they're just pulling out their cell phones and recording them and uploading it to TikTok or wherever they're uploading it. And then, of course, it makes the rounds and has whatever impact it has. Uh, There was also another story, again, from another school district in Florida where the critical race theory stuff is essentially having the desired impact that it was intended to have all along, which, of course, is to divide students among one another and create violent students where there might not normally be violent students. Again, if you look at a particular race of a human being, and you can actually convince them that the other races um, have oppressed them somehow just by being born, that right there is a recipe for disaster. And that's going to be a recipe for serious fighting, and that's exactly what happened off of school grounds regarding these particular students also. A white student was attacked with sticks and other objects from a variety of black students, apparently. And there you go. And I think the school district said, well, it was off school grounds. There's nothing we can do about it and blah, blah, blah. Of course, any parent who is the victim, who has a child who is the victim of of such a crime, should go to the police and press criminal charges for assault and battery. And uh, lawyer up and do what you have to do to make sure that the law is fully exercised against these individuals, regardless of age. That has to happen. And then you have to pull your child out of that school. Because again, why would you send them back to the same environment where there were students who attacked them because of what's being taught in the school? And again, it's been, (laughs) I've mentioned it a million times, but it's Florida. Just because there's all this, uh, you know, we're not going to teach critical race theory laws and, and all of this other stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, it's always going to be taught. It's always going to be taught. There's always going to be teachers that teach it because that's all they know. That's all they were taught in their teacher education programs. That's all that they know now. They don't know their subject matter. We, we know that the vast majority of teachers think that they are experts in their subject matter. And little do they know, of course, that they're actually just teaching propaganda. Uh, in large part, unless, of course, they're teaching some kind of a technology class or whatever. But, you know, even then, they might be saying, well, get on Google and look up the answer on Google. So the point is, is that regardless of the laws, children are still not safe within these environments because if these kinds of things are being taught, they are still unsafe. So as I've said in the past, don't send your children to the enemy. Uh, Again, No one should walk into a school building and have to worry about whether or not they're going to be attacked. 
on school property, off school property, before school, after school, wherever it is. And for anybody out there, by the way, who's taught school, you know this thing happens too, and it's this. Students love getting even with one another on the, on the field of play. They love getting even with, with one another during practice. They'll start purposeful grudges in school just to take it out on one another during practice because they know that if they're playing a sport or they happen to be on the same team and they want to go after one another, that if they fight during a practice or they permanently or seriously hurt one another during a practice, then it's not considered during school time. So they're not going to get suspended. They're not going to, you know, whatever. It, 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 even when that happens, it does not matter. You can still get the law involved. You can still get the law involved if, if a crime has occurred, an assault, a battery, whatever it is. Again, they put on the helmets, they put on the, the pads for football, and then they say, you know, I don't, I don't like Timmy over there. Let's go get him. You know, or hit him extra hard during practice or whatever else. That happens all of the time. Again, I, I can't think of a more unsafe environment, but back to the DeSoto substitute teacher who was attacked in class. Here's the news report on that from the local Fox 4 affiliate. Give this a listen. DeSoto ISD announced it is canceling all classes tomorrow after a violent fight between a substitute teacher and a student this week. The district made the move after video of the fight was posted on, online. It happened Wednesday on the campus of DeSoto West Middle School. It's unclear what led up to it, and the district and DeSoto police haven't said whether criminal charges will be filed against either the student or the teacher involved. Fox 4 Stephen Dial is live in DeSoto tonight with more on what he's learned. Stephen. Steve, there are a lot of unanswered questions about the fallout from this apparent altercation between a substitute teacher and student is resulting in the district canceling classes tomorrow. A video posted and spread online shows what appeared to be a fight that happened Wednesday in a DeSoto West Middle School classroom. Fox 4 has not independently verified the source of the video and is not showing it but it shows a student throwing a chair at a substitute teacher and that teacher throwing chairs back. The teacher's face was also bloody. That's crazy. The kids these days, this is getting out of hand. The district released a statement confirming an assault in the classroom. It said that it does not condone the behavior in the video and that all parties would be held accountable. It did not say whether the teacher or the student has already been punished. DeSoto police would only say it's aware of the incident and it had a larger presence on campus. Craig Miller is a school safety consultant and former Dallas ISD police chief. He says legal action will likely be taken. They'll face a serious assault charges uh, based upon the injury that I saw in the video. It could very well be an aggravated assault, uh, which also then could be enhanced possibly because it happened to an educator in, in a school environment. Miller says in this case, the teacher likely does have the right to defend himself. But he says the video does not tell the entire story. And we don't know what led up to the incident. There's a cause and effect, and I think that the, the school had to look at the response by the teacher. I mean, certainly that, that's a part of it. I know that if you watch that video, we all say, yeah, that's exactly what I would do as well. But I think it's important for us to kind of take a step back. We're the grown-ups in the room. Um, you know, did we need to do that? Did that person have to do that to continue to defend themselves? And that's a part of this. Thursday night, DeSoto ISD announced it's canceling classes for Friday. Instead, staff is instructed to come in and review district policies. When students return March 21st, these changes will be in place. Every school will have staff monitoring hallways and common areas. Employees with the district's Student Support Services Department will now move from the district headquarters to middle school campuses to provide faster response. And students will not be allowed to use cell phones, earbuds, and headphones during the school day. Another change that the district will be making is when students return, every campus will have a safety and security meeting with parents. And also, they're creating a uniform policy committee made up of students and administrators to come up with a type of uh, uniform dress code that will be ultimately proposed to the board to vote on. Believe it or not, there's more to this story than you might imagine, and this requires a little bit of analysis and a little bit of a breakdown. So here goes. First of all, 
deep breath. I'm going to work it backwards. If they think that changing the dress code is going to change anything, they're insane. If you, if you actually thought a dress code was going to decrease violence, you would have had a dress code in place from day one. Now doing it proves what? It proves that they are reactionary. They actually think that having them all wear the same color t-shirt, whether it's a t-shirt or polo shirts or whatever, on the same days is going to somehow eliminate things, eliminate violence, interpersonal violence. No. Nope. It won't. That won't have any effect whatsoever. They're also getting rid of, again, the earbuds and the cell phones, and you're not allowed to use headphones and cell phones in school. Ladies and gentlemen, I taught in school when the business of cell phones and headphones was in, in, in use among students, I should say, was remarkably prominent. And they, as I brought up in previous episodes a long time ago, the reason that they, many schools decided to not enforce any of that and make it against the rules was because the referral list was far too high. And as we all know, the way that K-12 schools operate is that you have to have a certain amount of referrals per year. And if you go over that particular limit, then people start asking questions. The district office starts asking questions. Administrators start uh, being looked down upon as not being able to control the environment. Then administrators start barking up the trees of teachers and saying, well, you need to stop writing referrals for this and referrals for that and blah, blah, blah. It was, if you can't beat them, join them approach. That was the entire reason why schools started to allow cell phone usage in the classroom, in the hallways, everywhere. And same thing with the earbuds. They also allowed it, believe it or not, because they actually thought to themselves, and by they, I mean the administration and the board members and the nitwits that run these environments. They actually thought that if a child or a minor was using a cell phone or headphones, that they would be more likely to not bother one another. They'd be listening to their own stuff or paying attention to their own things, and it would, it would create less violence is what they thought. They're always wrong. Always. They are always wrong when they think that we're going to implement this or we're going to take this away, and in the end, there will be less violence as a result. Wrong. There's always more violence. Again, if they think that getting students to wear the same shirts and all of a sudden implement a uniform, quote-unquote, to the entire school population, and that that it's in itself is going to solve anything, they are dreaming. This is the lack of logic that exists among the adults within these environments. And now, of course, they're double and triple jabbed, so that's not going to help anything. Because again, even in the Pfizer documents, encephalitis, which is a swelling of the brain, and even a shrinking of the brain, is a side effect of these jabs. And I'm not saying that jokingly. Uh, I'm actually saying that seriously. That's a, that's, a, that's a real thing. And yes, you're going to start seeing worse decision-making among these individuals. Uh, let's, just for the sake of argument here, and again, the former sheriff um, slash school violence coordinator, whoever, whoever he is, and by the way, I might add, school violence coordinators, if they exist within school districts, make a ton of money. They make a ton. As far as a school teacher's salary is concerned, they can make $63,000, $65,000 for doing practically nothing. All they do is get online and say, well, what lowers violence in school, Google? Tell me, and, and you know, now I'll get paid. And then they just print off a bunch of documents and they make proposals and blah, blah, blah. But when, when something doesn't work, this is, this is exactly where you need someone who works inside of a school district who's just brutally honest with these people. And they simply say, look, you've had all of these policies in place for a very long time that have been causing violence, and now you're going to take them away because you think that the violence is just going to disappear upon taking them away. They never should have been in place in the first place. That was your fault. Now you're paying for it. But let's put ourselves in the shoes of this substitute teacher because there's a lot of different scenarios just with that very quickly. 
regardless of what went on beforehand before the chairs starting started to be thrown, my guess is somebody said something to someone. Given the previous um, patterns of behavior, so to speak, we can take a guess. Again, they were they were all all black students in the classroom. It was a black older male substitute teacher. We can take a guess that someone said something, possibly a student to the sub or the sub to the students, either collectively or to an individual. And then, of course, a lack of civility, uh, a lack of you know any appropriate behavior in a social setting, and somebody throws a chair, and then that's the end of it. And then it's game on after that. But if you're the substitute teacher in that situation, let's assume he said nothing and he was just blatantly attacked. It'd be very easy for the individual to say, well, I'm just going to grab my stuff and I would leave if I was in that situation and a student attacked me with a chair or threw a chair and it hit me in the head and I started to bleed, I would just get up and I'd leave. The first move always should be to a cell phone and you should always dial 911. Put it on speaker or don't put it on speaker, but pick up a cell phone and dial 911. That's all you have to do. You don't have to pick up another chair and throw it. You don't even have to leave the room because theoretically, you don't know if that student is armed. And what you don't want to do is leave that room and leave that student who just engaged in the assault and battery around other students. Because again, you don't know if they're armed. You don't know what their intent is. You don't know what's going on. You don't. You can't read their mind. You can't see into the future. You don't know what's going on in their head. So you pick up your cell phone and you dial 911. As you're doing that, you pick up the classroom telephone, and most classrooms have a telephone. You pick up that phone and you call the front office and you yell for a resource officer at the top of your lungs. I need a resource officer in here now. And you yell it over the phone. I'm not going to yell it now, but you you get what I'm saying. That's the procedure. That's it. Standing in the hallway. Well, we need to stand in the hallway with our doors open because that will show everybody that we mean business and that we're all in this together. We're all on the same team and blah, 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 blah. That's not going to solve anything. Having students arrested and expelled is going to start solving things and then come back to the classroom and come back to the school as a principal or whoever runs that building, and you get on the PA system and you say, remember Jimmy from last week before spring break? Jimmy's expelled now. Jimmy has criminal charges pressed against him. He will most likely go to juvenile detention, and Jimmy is expelled. You will never see him in this school building ever again. Does anybody else in this building want to do what Jimmy did? Have a nice day, everybody. And then you hang up the PA system. But see, that doesn't happen either. There's no, there's no, there's no follow through. There's no follow up on the situation publicly, so that every single person in the building knows what happened to Jimmy. That doesn't happen, and that's a huge mistake. Now I know that they'll say, "Well, it's education law, and you can't do that. You can't publicize a minor's uh, in violent infraction and blah blah blah." Ladies and gentlemen, it was on a TikTok video. It's already public. It was on the nightly news. Now there needs to be follow-through. See, that's the teachable moment. If you're going to continue to send your children to these buildings, which clearly I do not recommend, but a parent throwing up their hands as they're being interviewed inside of a car by the local media and going, kids these days. It's, you know, the, the kids these days. I don't know what's going on, kids these days. No, it's not kids these days. It's a broken home. It's a broken family. It's no manners. This is what happens when you don't teach children to set the table. And I can't emphasize that example enough. If a child is is an elementary school student of elementary school age and they don't know how to set a table and eat properly and hold a utensil properly in their hands, ladies and gentlemen, when they become a teenager, it's game over. You know, Jordan Peterson used to talk about the importance of making your bed. I'll take it along the exact same vein. Set the table. Learn how to set a table. Learn how to cook a meal and eat with your family at a table. If you don't do that, wow, buckle up. 
you might end up throwing a chair in a classroom <laughs> as, as what you deem to be a logical response to conflict resolution. So it's not kids these days. That's not it. It's not, well, let's just blame society. Let's look inward a little bit. Let's hold a mirror up to our face as a parent, single or married or whatever, and, you know, pay attention to things like that. So set the table, ladies and gentlemen, and who knows? Maybe you won't walk out of a classroom bleeding with uh, a chair leg sticking out of your head. Who knows? Anyway, covered a bunch of stuff there. Again, I think, as I said at the very beginning of this, and I ran it on it for at least 10 minutes plus, the wave, that's going to, the wave that is going to come in the future is going to be a direct result of staff members and students dying. And I hope that the public and the surrounding area does not forget that it was the school teachers, the school nurses, and the superintendents and board members that were advocating for these shots. That's going to be the next thing that we're going to start seeing in board meetings. Guaranteed. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, have a great day. Dr. Robin McCutcheon will be back on Wednesday's episode, so listen in to that one as well, and take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.